Hello and welcome back to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, once again joined by Wa- by uh, Jason this week. I don't know what I was about to say. It sounded <laughs> like you were about to call me Wade or something. Something. <laughs> Anyways, we're off to my, a... my name's been mispronounced a number of ways, but I don't think I've ever been called Wade. Never starting with a W. So good yeah. morning, Jason. Good morning. <laughs> we're off to a great start. Yeah, yeah this, uh... this is fantastic. <laughs> So today for our, our, our podcast today, we're going to kind of pick up uh, part of the, the I am statement from our worship from yesterday. Yesterday, I discussed in, in our worship service Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And kind of for the purposes of that, mainly focused on, on this idea of Jesus being the way. And so we wanted to pick up a conversation today about Jesus as, as the truth, where he says, I am the truth, and, and kind of extrapolate that out into maybe some other conversation about truth. And so we are genuinely going to kind of have a conversation about that today. We haven't really discussed where we're going to go beforehand, so it could, it could be a natural, free-flowing conversation about this. And so that may we may lead into either another podcast episode or sermon or something like that maybe birthed from this where maybe it would be a two-part kind of conversation but we'll just kind of see how it where it goes today and so i'm going to begin with just kind of a couple of kind of introductory thoughts and and then we'll we'll throw some of this around in discussion but one of the things that i found interesting is so Jesus says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so I went and looked up what word John uses there, and it's always kind of interesting to me to, you know, look at word choice and, and all those types of things. And, and one of the things that I found interesting then was that when you, you look at the word that Jesus uses there, that, that John quotes Jesus using there, uh, it's the word uh, aletheia or something something close to that. And it's a word that John uses 20 times in his gospel. And just to give you an idea, it's a word that's used once in Matthew, three times in Mark, three times in Luke, and 20 times in John. <laughs> wow. Um, which is quite the discrepancy. And... And so when I saw that, I was reminded of something that we talked about last Wednesday night in our Zoom conversation, which is this idea that you've got these people, mostly like the Pharisees and the religious leaders and and people like that, who are constantly at odds with Jesus in John and are always pressing him on on his authority. And, And by whose authority are you doing these things? And you know, basically, you know, as we would say it today, who gives you the right to to kind of assume this position and say the things that you're saying? And and what you have then is these people who are basically masquerading as people in search of the truth, but they're actually not in search of the truth at all. They're in they're they're trying to hold on to their own version of the truth and their interpretation of the truth as a way of maintaining power and and structure and order in their minds. And and so you've got that running through this whole narrative. And and then you look at how many times John uses that word truth and and, and I think it just again brings that out that that you've got these people who 
are are claiming to be searching for the truth, but actually they're just searching for ways to discredit Jesus and hold on to their own version of it. And I think you see many examples of that when, when that's kind of called out. One of them we talked about last Wednesday night where um, where you know, you've got these people who recognize and acknowledge that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and so they decide they're going to have to kill Lazarus too, and not just Jesus, like that that's their response to this as well. Now we've got to get rid of him too, so it seems obvious they're, they're not actually in search of the truth. Uh, I think you see it a, a little bit even in Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus, where Nicodemus, who is um, a Pharisee, comes in and, and says, we know... Um, I'm going to have to go back and, and find his exact wording here now because I just, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and as part of his conversation with Jesus, he comes to him at night because he, he, he's, he very, he's, he seems to be kind of coming in, in secret basically and so you've got this man who's a Pharisee who comes and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And so I see Nicodemus, as we would say today, like he's kind of saying the quiet part out loud there. Like, look, we all know what's going on here, uh, but I've got to sneak around in order to genuinely search for the truth because that's not what these other people are doing, is, is basically what it sounds to me like there. And, and so Nicodemus seems to be genuinely searching, whereas these others are just trying to find ways to discredit Jesus because they're not actually searching for the truth. Uh, and so to, to kind of have that as, as sort of kind of a beginning point of our conversation today, uh, I guess, Jason, I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts just initially on, on how any of that hits you or, or your just kind of introductory thoughts on, on Jesus describing himself as, as the truth and what, what implications might come from that. The concept of truth is one of those things that has been discussed and debated and pontificated on, you know, since ancient times, even, even, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus's time, you know, there were philosophers discussing what is truth and, um, you know, how, how does one discern truth? How does one talk about truth? The fact of the matter is those conversations and that those kinds of disagreements still go on today. And so when we talk about what is truth, um, I, I think we first have to recognize that truth comes from perspective. So like a, as a human, you know, walking all, all around on this earth, we can look around and see what appear to be and what, you know, in many cases are an objective truth. You know, the sun is up in the sky right now. And, and the sun is, is, is shining down on my backyard as we're recording this right, right now. And, um, and, and I can feel the heat when I step outside and I can, you know, if I were to put my hand in some water, I would feel the wet. There is a sense of truth associated with, you know, those physical interactions that I have. I would say, so there, there are truths that I can discover just from kind of existence and self-awareness. Right. Existence, self-awareness, uh, you know, the five senses, all that kind right. of stuff. Yeah. There, there is truth that I can discover in that way. Um, the problem, though, is that I'm, I, can't per, I, I can't 
immediately access and perceive truth outside of my own perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. I always have that lens of my perspective. So, for instance, if I were, say, an earthworm, my perspective of wet, my perspective of heat, my perspective of, you know, the sun and the sky and the trees and the birds, all of that would be very different and would influence how I would see and how I would perceive that truth. Or, or if you want to go even more radical, you know, think about like a, a, a microbe of some kind, you know. Um, and actually, we, we know that when we start getting to units that are very, very small, down to atoms and molecules and subatomic particles, that that the the assumptions we make about the physical world start to break down pretty quickly. And we also know, like with astrophysicists, know that that when you get to, um, you know, things like black holes and when you talk about, you know, large celestial bodies like stars and suns and stuff like that, that that our perception of truth around the physical world, you know, starts to get more questionable in some ways. So truth has a lot to do with perspective. And so... I think when Jesus starts referring to I am the, you know, refers to himself as I am the way, the truth, and the life, I think the truth that he's referring to is a truth that assumes a perspective that a lot of us struggle with. And that is a selfless perspective. It's a perspective that puts others before the self that, um, that says it's not my truth, it is God's truth. And that Jesus, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you know, I think you could say, I am the way to God, I am God's truth, and I am the life in God. I think that might be another way that we could probably state it. Um, And so that begs the question, well, what is God's truth? Um, Well, the Pharisees at the time would say that God's truth is the law, that it's following the rules, it's doing what um, what the the Torah uh, the Torah tells you to do, and then later on, you know, after Jesus' time, the Talmud um, was a part of that, and so the Pharisees at the time would say it's following the law uh, of Moses, it's following the law that God has put before us. Jesus is saying, no, I am the truth. Meaning that that what I'm telling you to do, the way I'm modeling my life, the way that I am treating other people, the way that I am loving other people, the way I am demonstrating God's love and, and care for his people, that is the truth. Which may incorporate some elements of the law. You know, and Jesus very famously said that I'm not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, and so it's not that it rejects that part of it, but that the spirit of the law, if you will, is the, is God's truth. And I think that's something that we lose perspective on a lot, uh, when we're thinking about truth, because again, I think we're thinking about truth from a very narrow perspective. You know, we're thinking about truth only as I see it and as I perceive it, which isn't, um, isn't necessarily wrong, but I think it's incomplete. 
Um, because Jesus didn't just look at things from his perspective. He looked at things from the perspective of Nicodemus. And he looked at things from the perspective of, you know, the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And he looked at things from the perspective of uh, even, you know, even as he was dying from the from the perspective of the thief on the cross, you know. Um, and so all of those things exemplify a different understanding of what truth is. Not that it's purely subjective and, you know, my truth is different from your truth and, you know, we just have to accept that. I think it's that it's that my truth and your truth there there's a there has to be a um there's a symbiosis there. There's there's a way in which my truth and your truth may be may look different and may be perceived differently, but they they work together because we're we're both children of God. Does that make sense? I think so. You know, it makes me think that there's there's this kind of uh, there's this popular image that's that's kind of circled around on social media a few times that I've seen where it's you may have seen it, but this it's this graphic where it's two people standing on either side of this number on the ground, and so one person's looking at this number and they say that's a nine. And the other person from the other way is looking at the number and they say, that's a six. And, and so and it is often used to kind of say, you see, everything's, you know, the, things are a matter of perspective. And, you know, what is a six to one person is a nine to another. And, and neither of them are wrong. Right. And I, I think the, the kind of the interesting, I think, kind of converse side of that is that you could also look at that and say, yeah, but someone created that, you know, it's, it's, it's what very was possible. the original intent? Yeah, that someone created that as either a six right. or a nine, and it may have had a purpose as either a six or a nine. And so you can look at it and say, "Yeah, well, to me, it looks like a nine. But but to investigate truth beyond your own perspective would be to say, "But what what was the intent of this? What was the purpose? And and is my perspective perspective lacking something that is keeping me from seeing?" this kind of objective truth that's out there. And then I can make a decision of kind of what to do with that. And was the original purpose or intent uh, important to that? Or, 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 you know, or can it function as either way, you know, truly? Well, and in, and in my opinion, I think the original purpose and intent sometimes I think is only part of the, the perspective that we should be seeking out. Uh, I do think that the original purpose and intent is is important, but even that I don't think gets at the whole of the truth because I think my own individual perspective, your individual perspective, lends um, other ways to understand and interpret that as it is that perhaps the original intent didn't account for. I think about things like like laws. Or, you know, the U.S. Constitution where, you know, there's, there is a lot of, of debate around, well, what was the original intention of this particular law? Or what was the original intention of, you know, this part of the Constitution or that part of the Constitution? And I think those are legitimate conversations to have. I think that's a legitimate perspective to try to understand. But we also have to remember that those laws and that Constitution weren't written in today's society and perhaps we we might need to consider that and i think like parts of the bible while um while parts of the bible certainly um you know i'm not i'm not going to say that the parts of the bible are not relevant today they certainly are 
but how they're relevant today might be different than how they were relevant at the time they were written. Yeah, I agree. And I think my, my thought and my point was more kind of if you take the kind of the, the very narrow kind of um, thought about that image away from it, still thinking about numbers. Like if I've got a phone number that I'm looking at and I think that a yeah. number is a two and someone else says it's a seven, you know, just because of the way it's written. Uh-huh. Well, I, I have to know what number that is if I'm going to call that number and get, get whoever I'm wanting to get. Right. That's true. And so I can think You're it's right. a seven. You can think it's a two, but it's like, okay, yeah, but only one of those is going to work if I dial this phone number. <laughs> right. And, right. Right. And so, I, I, yeah, I agree with you that, you, yeah, we have to look at it in context and, and, and all those different things. But I also think there, there are times when we have to say, no, my perspective may be limiting my, my ability to see mm-hmm. this for what it is. Um, and that there are some things that are a matter of perspective, and then there are other things that that I have to decide how I'm going to respond to to truth. Well, I think where that gets us into trouble in our relationships, again, probably because of what I do, I'm very often thinking in terms of of relationships and applying these concepts there. But I think about like if if you're having a conversation with your wife and you say something and she's kind of taken aback and says. Well, that was that was a very mean thing to say. Why would you say something like that? And you come to find out that she misheard you, or maybe, um, or or maybe you said something not anticipating that she would hear it in that certain way. And your intention was not at all to be hurtful or to be, um, you know, difficult or or uh, or any way problematic, but inadvertently, due to no fault of her own, at least, and not and and due to you know maybe just a misunderstanding on your part, she heard it that way. Now it's one thing for her to say, "Well, that was very hurtful." It's another thing for you to say, "Well, I didn't mean it that way, so you, sh- you shouldn't hear it that way." You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And mm-hmm. a lot of times we're like, "Well, that's not how I mean it, so you just need to get over it." Well, right. no, we have to take responsibility for the effect, not just the intention. You know, and so our, so we have to look outside our perspective. So the truth may be that you didn't intend to hurt her, but the truth is also that she was hurt, that she was offended and that you have, you have to reckon with that part of the equation, that part of truth as well. By the same token, it's helpful for her to integrate your truth into that. Okay. He didn't mean it the way it came out. He didn't mean it the way that I heard it. And maybe there's a conversation to be had about that. Maybe he, he, he could, do a better job of anticipating how I might hear something like that. Or maybe I could, um, you know, better understand his meaning in situations like that. And it's it's a two-way street. I think both, uh, ideally, both need to happen. But it requires both of you not just sticking to what your truth is about the situation. You know, yours being, I didn't mean to offend you. I was, you know, uh, just conveying some information. And hers being... I was offended regardless of what you were intending to do. That that integrating each other's truth about that into your um, response, I think, is incredibly important. And I think that's that's another part of, of where Jesus, I think, is going with I am, the, you know, the truth in that it's be, it's outside of our own individual perspective. It's outside of just how I perceive things. You know, the Pharisees saw him healing on the Sabbath and said, that's unlawful. You can't do that. And Jesus, I think, is saying, 
no, it is lawful because I'm doing good, because I'm helping this person. Uh, the, the law should not be, you know, cannot be restricting me from doing that. He's, spe- he's not rejecting the law as part of God's truth. He's saying that in this situation, the perspective has to be different as to what truth and what goodness and what is righteous actually is. Right. And um, kind of just to stay with relationships and, and kind of pick up on that theme that you mentioned there and kind of communication between people and things like that. I um, There's a sermon that uh, Tim Keller preached on this not too long ago um, that I, I listened to kind of in thinking about this conversation. His sermon is, is called Absolutism, and he talks about just kind of some of these concepts of truth and, and how culturally we think about that and um, you know, as with anyone, I, I don't always uh, agree with Tim Keller's kind of thoughts and theologies and where he takes things. But this, um, it was it was a really interesting sermon. And if you kind of are interested in any of these topics, I think it would be an interesting one for people to listen to. But kind of one of the overarching premises that he kind of deals with in that sermon is is as he says that this idea that we often see truth and freedom as being enemies of each other and that those two things are kind of opposed to each other. Yeah. And and I don't know that I'd ever really thought about that, but I think you you do see some connections between even that idea and kind of what you were talking about with our perspective because I think you see that idea of you know that idea that I've got to consider things beyond my perspective is is really front and center of a lot of our current um cultural conversations, right? whether it's, you know, conversation around racism, like I may have to consider that like, the way I experience the world isn't the way everybody experiences the world. Uh, conversations right. around coronavirus, right? Just because I haven't been impacted and don't see the, the you know, the, the, the uh, difficulties of it, whatever, doesn't mean that it's not a real problem and, and issue. Um, mm-hmm. On and on you could go with, with, with kind of that, that idea. And, and I think one of the interesting things that he was talking about, I think, gets at with this idea that, that freedom and, and truth often stand opposed. I think you see that in some of the current conversations, that that for some people, the idea of, of having to wear a mask is this, like, giving up of freedom and rights. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it's almost like this idea that, well, if I, if I see that as truth, if I let that be the truth that, that, yes, this is a real threat and wearing masks is helpful and so we should all do it, you are restricting freedom. And, and that what happens then, is, as he talks about in this sermon, is that there's this fear that truth claims and truth plays can be really used as, um, as power plays, and be used mm-hmm. as a way to to oppress and and kind of get get your way, and and he talks about how really that seems to be what the Pharisees are doing. They're making truth claims about the law and 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 how you keep the law as a way to uh, to keep to justify themselves, but also to try to bring down Jesus. Right. And and they're using it kind of as an oppressor, and so that can happen. And. And truth claims can be used by oppressors, but that doesn't mean that that's how they are always used. And and one of the examples that he used in that sermon was this idea of, of relationships and how if I'm going to enter into a relationship, it, it requires me giving up some freedom. Um, and the more intimate the, the relationship, the more independence I give, I, I, I'm going to be called to give up is, is I think the way he kind of describes it in that, which makes sense. Um, but but what we are telling ourselves then is is that 
the the benefits of this relationship and what I'm going to to get out of it um, not only are are I, I see as beneficial but is actually a deeper and truer sense of freedom and it is me being um, being who I feel like I am being led and, and called to be and that that's a different way of seeing freedom than seeing freedom simply as the ability to do everything to do anything I want. Right. And and that idea that sees freedom as I can do anything I want is the one that rejects any kind of overarching truth because there is no truth. Truth is whatever I make it. And so freedom then means me going out and determining my own truth, making up my own truth for myself. Um but but we see countless times that that get digging into this richer, deeper understanding of freedom and and who I'm meant to be means that I I have to hold on to some truths and and hold to those. And 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 I think that's an interesting conversation to be having, kind of around these these topics. And uh, you know, he uses the example too that uh, of you know the, the fish and water, which people have used in in different kind of contexts. But he says, you know, it's you're not giving the fish freedom by taking him out of water. <laughs> yes. You're not saying, well, the fish can live wherever he wants. Well, no, he's got to live in water. And and when the fish exists in water, the fish is free to be what it is created to be and it is going to um that's that's where it needs to be and it's not restrictive it's giving it freedom well and and that's where i think that we have to be careful how much we require others to accept or come along with our truth um and i think this is this is particularly important if you're talking with others about faith or if you're talking to others about you know, well, well, really kind of uh, very I- any divisive issue, you know. Um, and the reason why I think that's important is because I may not be able to convince you of my truth. I may not be able to sway you at all. Um, in fact, I don't even have any control necessarily over how much you may be willing to be influenced by my truth and by my uh, the, my perspective and how I see truth. Um, and so I have to be careful about how much I require that of you. So if I'm going to be in relationship with another person, I think we have to be careful about, and I do think that there is a line that maybe we shouldn't cross with this, but we have to be careful about how much do I allow our differences, what we may believe to be different truths, so to speak, Right. How much do I allow that to come in between our fellowship together? You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about the vine is how we have a, a number of people with very different belief systems and we can have those conversations. And sometimes it gets a little challenging to, to engage with that. But I think we do a good job of allowing people to uh, to have those differences of opinion um, and different truths, so to speak. Um, and. There may come a point where two people say, you know, we are so diametrically opposed in how we view things. It's difficult for us to be around each other. I think that's that's uh, that represents a very sad turn of events. And and hopefully we can always find some common ground by which to 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 stand, especially if if we're talking about two people of faith, two people who, you know, um, who worship the same Christ. But but that that becomes more difficult. And I have to be careful to say, OK, I can still hold on to my truth 
and you can still have yours and that doesn't have to be a barrier between us loving and caring for each other right yeah kind of the, there, there's a thought from uh brian zond that, that he says a lot that he says you know if you want to know what god is like then then look at jesus and jesus is what god is like and and i see that connected to this idea that jesus is the truth because it was happening in jesus's day and as you said it, it happens in in our context in our church in our, in our culture of, of discussions about religion and Christianity and, and what should Christians do and how should Christians believe about this or, or act about this and on and on and on we could go. And, and I think in Jesus, we have this picture of, and that's where I connect Jesus with this idea of, of being truth is, is you've got God in human form saying, okay, so if God was a human, what would he do? <laughs> and, and you see it in Jesus, like that's, that's Jesus's right. life, right? He's, He's going around taking care of people, loving people, um, and again connected to the idea of Sabbath, as you said earlier. Like uh, one of my favorite lines of Jesus is when he says that um, man was created, or Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? Like we're right. not just cogs in this system that God has set up for that. That our purpose isn't to follow all these rules so that so that all these systems are maintained. Uh, the purpose of things like Sabbath is to is for us to to experience life to the fullest. Um, all these things were created for people, not not those things, not not people for those things, and and so viewing Jesus in in that way and saying, okay, so these are the things to view Jesus as the truth to me is about the things that Jesus goes around caring about and prioritizing are are the true essence of who God is and who we are called to be in response to that, and. And again, to kind of pull something from what Tim Keller was saying about relationships, and and he was saying, you know, there's there would be a thought amongst kind of critics of Christianity that would say that 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 God is is this oppressive or kind of restrictive God because He's requiring all these things of you. Um, but but what Tim Keller says in this sermon is that you know. And, and it, it feels it could feel into some like a one-sided relationship, like an oppressive relationship where this God is asking all these things of you just for their own whatever, pleasure or benefit. But that in our relationship with God, God completely and freely gives of himself in, in, in the nature of, of not only in his own nature, but in Jesus emptying himself and, and giving his life for us. And so we see this complete two-sided relationship that you can miss if you're not seeing the full picture of Jesus. And, and I liked that imagery of, of, of God being willing to give of himself for us. And so this isn't a one-sided relationship, but this is, this is a call of us to, uh, to invest in, in a God who is investing in us as well. You know, we as, as people change, uh, both individually as well as collectively, and I think we have to be careful if if our interpretation and if our perspective of of what God may be asking of us and and of how God is responding to us, we have to be careful to balance between uh, you know staying true to what we believe to be uh, truth and you know allowing ourselves to be influenced appropriately by the perspective of others. Um, I think that 
that there's a balance to be achieved there. I don't think we should be just completely amorphous with no solid core. But at the same time, I do think that there does need to be some flexibility around the edges so that when I encounter someone who may have a radically different perspective from my own, I have to be willing to shift in some way or another my understanding of truth based on their perspective. I think the conversations we had a few weeks ago about race are really important for doing that. Um, and, and I think that our understanding of, of God and what God wants of us, that also may need to shift and change over time. I think God wants something very different from me at this point in my life than he did, you know, 20 years ago. Um, not to say that it's, it's different in a, um, right and wrong sense, but, but different in, in terms of what my truth around God should be. Um, and I think, I think we have to be careful about not, you know, imposing too much of that of ourself onto other people as well. So I don't know, I'm kind of rambling now, but, but I, I guess my point is that it's, it's a challenge, but I think it's important to seek out the balance between a solid core and being flexible on the edges. And where exactly does that lie? I don't know. I, I think that's that's an ever-moving target. And I think it's something that each individual has to determine for themselves. But I think that, that we have to consider that as part of our process in in identifying truth and in identifying what G, you know how Jesus represents the truth um, is in identifying what's good at the you know what is truth at the core and then where can we be flexible on the edges and I think Jesus that that's that was a large part of the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus is that they kind of differed on okay what's at the core you know Jesus said loving other people that's at the core loving God is at the core Whereas the Pharisees were saying following the law is at the core. Well, we need to we need to be uh, open to uh, reevaluating that from time to time. Yeah, and I think you know I think the interesting thing though to me is I think if you really like, I think the Pharisees are saying that following the law is at the core. Yeah, but I think what the Pharisees are actually saying and doing is seeing things from our perspective is at the core. And and following the law the way we think you should follow the law is at the core. Well, but isn't that what we all do? Don't we always do that? What do you mean? If I have a a rule that I expect you to follow, and or if I've not not you, well, let's say that if I have a rule that I that we've all agreed is the right rule to have, and it's codified in law, and for the last you know, however many years we've been following it in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And then you come along and say, well, you know, you actually can follow it this other way. To me, it looks like you're trying to skirt the law. To me, it looks like, and, and, and you know, make it like a, a you know, you could, you could make it like a civil, a civic law, you know, a, 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 a state law or a federal law. That, that I understand it to be a particular way, and then somebody comes along with a very different interpretation that, in my opinion, may not even match up with what the words say, you know. Um, you know, God said, 
in the, you know, or the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments say, keep the Sabbath. And here's Jesus coming along saying um, that I'm, you know, here, here's Jesus coming along saying, uh, well, that's not really how you keep the Sabbath. I mean, I have a little bit of sympathy for the Pharisees in their perspective because they they were following the law as it had always been done. And to kind of wrap your head around the way that Jesus was approaching the law and the way that Jesus was demonstrating the law, that would be a very radical mind shift that I don't think very many of us deal very well with at all anyway. I think it's easy for us to look back in, in retrospect and say, oh, those those silly, you know, fundamentalist Pharisees who, you know, they just wanted to retain power. Well, probably, but I don't know that that's any different than any reaction the rest of us would have for the most part. I, I get that. And yeah, and I think there's a... To use our word for the day, I think there's probably some truth in that. <laughs> but I do think that, I mean, to go back to the, the example just with Lazarus, like it says in, in, in John 12, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And so it's like, if it, to me, if their chief objective was law following, they would look at that and say, well, we can't kill Lazarus. Yeah, like killing Lazarus is against the law, um, <laughs> and and so it it's there. It, it just seems like, especially over the course of John, it seems like it it feels to me a lot of times like following the law is cover for an underlying message of Jesus is is kind of upending our way of life and 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 upending the structure and all these things that are in place that have kept us in a place of, of power and authority. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he is challenging that. And, and so it, it feels like that's what's happening, which I think you see, you know, we, we, in the conversation with race, you know, that, that we had, you know, there's kind of this idea right. of, you know, well, is all lives matter really a, a cover for some other type of, Right. What other, whatever unspoken message or something, and and you could go back and forth about that, but but it seems like a lot of times the 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 verbiage that we use, the reason we use is 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 sometimes cover for something else, and I think that's that's what it feels to me like a lot of times for the Pharisees. Yeah. I would uh, okay, I w I would agree with that. I, I don't think I would disagree with that. What I what I might question though is how conscious it is, yeah, how aware, fair. how self aware they are of it. You know, when I hear someone say you know, all lives matter and are, and talk very dismissively about, um, about the, the oppression and suffering of, you know, black people, you know, I, it, it could very easily. And, and I think very simply be thought of as well, you know, that's, that's someone wanting to keep black people in their place, so to speak. That is someone who is, uh, ignoring or choosing to, ignore, um, you know, issues of civil rights, um, that need more attention because they don't want to lose their standing. They don't want to lose their place of power, so to speak in the, in society. And while that might be true, I think that it's not a, I don't think that's a conscious choice, you know? Um, I think that very often is coming from this perspective of, 
you know, again, not being able to see outside your own eyes and being able to see outside your own perspective. And so, and I think if anything, that's, that may be, I think that may be what the Pharisees were guilty of as well. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that that can be part of the problem if if I'm not willing for my truth to be uh, influenced by the truths of others, you know, and if and if I'm not willing to to accept the reality that my truth, no matter how right, quote unquote, I might be, is incomplete, you know. Uh, my, my truth will always be incomplete, again, because I have a very limited perspective. I can only see the world through my eyes. I can only hear it through my ears. I can only process my experiences uh, in light of my prior experiences. So my perspective and my truth will always be limited. And I have to be willing to accept influence from other people, whether those... Uh, and, and I have to be discerning about who those other people are and to what degree I accept that influence. But I have to accept influence from my wife. I have to accept influence from my kids. I have to accept influence from uh, people who have very different perspectives and have lived different lives than I have. Not because their truth is better or more correct, but because it adds another piece to the whole of God's truth. I don't have a monopoly on God's truth. So, yeah, it is challenging to say, well, I have my truth, you have your truth. Well, that's not to say that that objective truth doesn't exist, but I don't have a monopoly on it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's arrogant to think that I do. And so I have to be willing to accept that influence from others. Yeah, I like that idea that, yeah, my my truth, my perspective is is incomplete, limited, um, and may in cases... (laughs) What I think to be my truth, I may find out is not truth, and and then as you say, right. I change. And as I heard someone say the other day, you know, none of the the statement "I am wrong" is uh, is not one that we could make. It's not a possible statement that there's no present right. tense of my feeling like I'm wrong because if if I, if I discover I'm wrong, then I'm going to change my mind. If, uh, and so you know. And I think Randy Harris, you know, kind of says something like that a lot of times that, you know, I'm, I'm right in everything I believe because if I, if I wasn't right, I wouldn't believe it. And, right. and so when I find out that I'm wrong, I'm going to change my mind and I'm still right. And so we're always right um, and we're never wrong. And, uh-huh. and, and that's a, a battle that we struggle with. And I think to kind of wrap up for today and, and bring that back to Jesus, I do think that's why, you know, recognizing that my perspective, my truth is limited, is incomplete um, makes makes our claim, Jesus's claim, and our claim as followers of Him that He is the truth, right? Uh, all the more important for us to uh, to search out 
okay, so what is what does that look like? What does that mean for me? Um, and and holding on to Jesus as our truth is is all the more important because it pulls us out of our own perspective uh, and it 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 forces us to to consider life, the world, uh, and our purposes in Him. Um, from from the perspectives of someone else. And so I want to close this for, there's all kinds of other directions we could go with this and, and may potentially go with it in, in future conversations. I've already got a couple of thoughts in mind that we didn't get to today, but I won't bite off any, any new conversations for today. So uh, if anyone is still listening to this today, feel free to throw out stuff that you think would be good <laughs> places to go to for conversation. But uh, one verse I want to close with today, and then Jason, if you'll close us in prayer. In... in um, Oh man, now I lost it. I went away from it. In Romans 6, which is this really interesting conversation about freedom and truth, really, uh, towards the end of that chapter, Paul says, But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, which almost seems like an oxymoron. Um, But he said, You've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. And, and I like that, that, that phrasing that kind of, in my mind, goes back to some of the things that we talked about earlier, that, that when we submit to God's truth, when we submit to the perspective of, of Jesus, um, we, we may feel as if we are giving something up, but in actuality, we are, we are tapping into this deeper and more complete and full essence of humanity and purpose, and of ultimately freedom, even though in some contexts it may not seem like that. Yeah. So, with, with that kind of said, Jason, you want to close us in prayer, and then we'll, we'll uh, at least pause this conversation for today or, sure. or move on to other things if we decide that's what we want to do. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we... Um, we pray for humility and we pray for wisdom. Uh, God, we are consistently bombarded with um, with our own thoughts and with uh, what we perceive to be threats from others about our truth. God, help us to... Um, to always seek out your truth instead of our own truth. Help us to have the humility to recognize that, uh, that your truth really is the eternal truth, that your truth is what guides our life and is what, uh, what provides us with stability and comfort and safety. And Lord, I pray that we, as we seek out your truth, may have the, the humility to, um, to set aside any preconceived ideas we may have about our own individual roles in that, um, that we may have the, the confidence of our own convictions that you give us, but also give us the humility to, um, to allow others to show us areas where our truth may not be aligned with yours. Allow us to see you in the people that we encounter, whether it's people we know closely 
or people that we may meet um, in our day-to-day life. And God, I ask that you give us the wisdom to discern your truth uh, from, from things that are not your truth. That's a difficult challenge and one that, that frankly, I don't do very well and I don't think very many other people do very well either. But God, I know through your hand and through your guidance, um, we can seek that out. Um, and Lord, I ask that you be with us along that journey. And thank you again for the life that you give us and for the, the comfort and the um, protection that you give us every day. And it's in your son's holy and blessed name we pray. Amen. Amen.